So we've been talking about how life gets messy sometimes. We are discussing ways to lean into those seasons for spiritual growth and maturity instead of allowing them to take us out, away from our faith and church and even life, suicide. In part one, we talked about we all fall short of the glory of God. Sometimes we create the mess. Sometimes we inherit the mess. Somebody else does something that creates a mess in our lives. And sometimes it's just that life happens, right? Nobody's in control of the mess. It just happens. Like this week, $2,000 in car repairs for me. Life just happens. I don't know why everything went at once. And then the person working on my car, and I won't mention his name, <clears throat> Jerry. Um, <laughs> As he's repairing what's wrong, he's telling me about things that are coming up. I'm like, thanks a lot, Joey. He's just warning me because he loves me, yeah. Sorry, Mark, he said, but you may want to address this soon. Address the mess. Part two, we talked about how it took the mess to arrange the meeting with God. Some of us had to hit rock bottom to come to a, a have a Jesus moment. And Jesus offered himself as the solution out of your mess. But you have to choose to follow him out. You can't behave yourself out of a mess. You have to follow Jesus out. Part three, last week, we talked about how transformation happens from the inside out. Christianity, we said, is not supposed to be a long cycle of making the same messes over and over and over again. We said that we have to decide to, to uh, allow God to renew our minds and hearts so that eventually our behaviors will change. And the theme for this series, and we're going to repeat it after I say it, I want you to say it, what we all, or in a minute, this quote, what we all have in common, the theme is what we all have in common is life is messy. And when it comes to noticing other people's messes, we have a phrase that we say, right? I know a mess when I see one because I am one or I was one. Ready? I know a mess when I see one because I am one or I was one, okay? I have a question. Have you ever dropped something in your kitchen before, like a huge container of spaghetti sauce or something? Maybe it slipped out of your hand. Maybe it fell out of the refrigerator when you opened the door. And when it fell and broke and hit the floor, it also hit the ceiling. It hit the doors, it hit the cupboards, and everything in the room that it could possibly attach itself to at the same time. Anybody has ever dealt with that? Yeah. Pretty frustrating, isn't it? Well, one day in our home in New York, the toilet upstairs overflowed and ran into the basement. And in our basement, uh, we had a drop ceiling, you know, the tiles and kind of like what we have out in the foyer, the tiles and the rails that are held up by wires, uh, and when we went downstairs, we realized that we had a little mess on our hands um, that we had to address, right? Water through the floor onto the ceiling tiles. So uh, I said, Angel, are you willing to go down, just kind of, you know, deal with the ceiling tiles, take them out, clean up the mess, get a garbage bag, mop it up. I'll go upstairs and I'll fix the toilet and I'll address that mess. It was messier upstairs. Um, so Angel went downstairs to address the mess. And after cleaning up the floor, she reached up to take out one or two of the soaking wet ceiling tiles. Just a little mess. Just grab them, take them down, put them into a bag. Easy repair. All of a sudden, I'm upstairs, and I hear this loud crash. I mean, it was loud downstairs. And I was running down our spiral staircase yelling, what just happened? What just happened? What, I, what we didn't realize is the person who hung this ceiling used very thin wire to hang the rails that hold up uh, the tiles. 
Now, I want you to picture this. If you have to close your eyes, you can. But as I rounded the corner to see what happened, there was my once beautiful wife standing in the center of a 40-foot basement holding one broken, soaking wet tile with an entire ceiling on the floor all around her. 40 feet of ceiling on the floor. She was as black as you can be as a white woman. (laughs) Covered with all the black dust that settles on top of those tiles for years. Who knows? Probably the original tile. And I'll never forget as I saw tears rolling down her cheek and I started, as it started to wash away the soot and I was reminded that I really did marry a white woman. She said, I am not cleaning up this mess. We are selling the house. This was before her inner healing, okay? We were both thinking at that time, this is too much. The mess is too much to address. It would be easier just to walk away from it, leave it the way it is, and just never go into the basement again. The problem is our bedroom was down there. And as funny as that story is, I think it's true, right? That all of us at some point in our lives have made a mess so big that we just wanted to walk away, right? Look how many fathers are walking away from families that they accidentally created. Look how how many mothers are walking away from their children because of addiction. And now grandparents are raising their kids for them. It's so messy, we don't even know where to begin. And it just seems easier sometimes to just walk away from it. Marriage sometimes gets so messy, it seems easier to just walk away from it and start over. We don't lean into the work of it, the mess of it. And in your notes, every once in a while, that was about you, by the way. Now we're going to shift gears. Every once in a while, occasionally, we see someone else who has made such a mess of their life that you want to avoid them. You know, you want to walk the other way. And you hope they don't come to you for help and guidance. You look at the decisions they've made, financial decisions, habitual decisions, parenting decisions, career decisions, and spiritual decisions, and there's something inside of you that says, I should probably help, I should probably get involved, but it's so messy that you just want to pretend that you didn't see it, and you walk the other way. Go with me to Luke chapter 10. I want to tell you what Jesus says about how to respond to this. We all know Jesus didn't avoid the messes, right? So you know what's coming, don't you? Luke chapter 10, it's page 1028 in the Black Bibles under the chairs in front of you, 1028. Jesus addressed this issue very clearly. In Luke chapter 10, Jesus is having a debate with a lawyer, and there are a bunch of others standing around listening. The lawyer had just asked Jesus this question, teacher, what shall I do? Listen to this question, because we're talking about leaning into messy people. What shall I do to inherit eternal life? Most Christians today would say, just believe. Just believe and you got it. You have your ticket. Don't worry about church. Don't worry about pastors. Don't worry about reading your Bible. Don't worry about following the Bible. You just write your own version of the truth. As long as you believe, you're in. That's what the Bible says, because they don't take the whole Bible into context. Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, well, what does Scripture say about that? 
And the lawyer begins to quote back to Jesus what it says. And at the end of this Old Testament scripture is a very famous line that almost all of us know and we can quote. Here it is in verse 27, the second part of 27. What does it say? Love your neighbor as much as you love yourself or more. Jesus says in verse 28, nailed it. You have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. Let's close in prayer. That's it. You can do a sermon in five minutes. Well, then why do you go 40 minutes every week? Because I like to talk. And if you leave, you'll be embarrassed and everybody will judge you. And so you can't go anywhere. So I have you for 40 minutes. So I'm going to talk for 40 minutes. But you can leave if you want, Brian. That's a sermon right there. Go and do it. Do this and you'll have eternal life. So then it's more than just believing. You got it. You have to love your pastor. Enough to be willing to work on his brakes all day on a Saturday that you had a chore list, a honey to-do list. So I was apologizing to Sue and Jerry all day yesterday. You have answered it correctly. Love your neighbor as yourself. Just go and do that. But because the lawyer was trying to trap Jesus... He just kept digging for more tricky questions. Verse 29. Well, who is my neighbor, Jesus? Because I know what scripture says, but it doesn't say who is my neighbor. In other words, who is the neighbor that I'm obligated to love? Huh? Huh? Bet you can't answer that, Jesus. And Jesus, being who Jesus is, instead of answering the question, because he doesn't give you what you want all the time, he begins to tell a story which is one of the most famous stories that he ever told. Even people who aren't religious know this story. In reply to the lawyer, Jesus just started talking about a guy. In verse 30, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. So do you see what's going on? He wasn't just robbed, he was shamed. He's almost dead. He's laying there naked. A priest who you would think, verse 31, a priest who you would think, if you read between the lines, would stop and help this man to show his church how to do it right. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he went over to the other side and avoided him. He walked the other way. He passed by. So to a Levite, Okay, so the pastor blew it. Let's see if the elders of the church, the leaders of the church, see if they'll get it right. So to a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, both of those passages did not say, well, maybe they didn't see him, pastor. Maybe you're being too hard. No, Jesus is really good when he tells the story. He saw the man and he passed on by. So to the Levite, when he came to the place, see, you see needs, you don't you? that you don't address for a lot of reasons, and I can't even list them all. We may list some today. The Levite came to a place, and he saw the man, and he passed by on the other side. So the priest is like a pastor, just so you know. The Levite was like one of his staff, both church people, but supposedly followers of God. Just so you know who Jesus is trying to reach this message to. Then I think Jesus just grinned a little and he paused 
And he said, but a Samaritan. Maybe Jesus paused right there to let it sink in. A Samaritan, because Jews and Samaritans do not get along. And Jesus seemed to always make the bad guy the good guy. He always went out of his way to make the villain the hero. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, which means what? He was trying to get somewhere. He had a a Lowe's list. He had a Martin's list. He had a Walmart list. He had a place to go. Even if it was just home to rest from work, he didn't want to be bothered. As he traveled, just like the priest and Levite, who was also trying to get somewhere, he was also probably busy, if that's the excuse that they would make, like we do, came where, Jerry was busy, but he stopped everything to bless me. Because Angel's leaving for New York today, and we had to fix the brakes, because it was dangerous to drive that car. As he traveled, he came to where the man was, he saw him as well, and he took pity on him. You see, we're all busy. We're all usually trying to get somewhere. And Jesus is just trying to teach Pastor Mark, little old Pastor Mark in Dubois, Pennsylvania, that Pastor Mark's destination, his Lowe's list, and his agenda is just that, his plans for the day. But it may not be God's plan for Pastor Mark's day, right? Right, followers of Jesus? Right, followers We're going to go into this because I'm thinking about doing not a fan again. He's not looking for fans who just come to worship and sing to him. He's looking for people who will throw their agenda aside. I I, I couldn't help but to think of Leanne all throughout while I was going back over this and writing it. That woman will drop everything to minister to people. She's the one that I emulate with this message. Because I'm telling you, when I have a Lowe's list, people are annoyance to me. Get out of my way. Why can't I find anybody? There's no workers here. Like, it's all about me. Me, 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 me. Why isn't anybody, why isn't everybody waiting on me? Why are the people that are stopping at the red light? Why don't they just go through the red light so I can go through? Like, everybody is an annoyance because I'm just trying to get there and get home. And we miss God opportunities. What if your plans get interrupted by God's plans. How will you respond to someone who is in a mess when you are busy? How will you respond to someone who's in a mess when you are trying to get somewhere? Listen, if we are all going to call ourselves followers of God, shouldn't we actually be following him? Anywhere, at any time, for anyone, in any kind of mess? Come on. I have literally seen Leanne drop everything she was doing and go home and get her lawnmower and mow somebody's yard. I'm like, I I honestly don't know if I would have done that. I would have said, maybe a Saturday when I have some time. Am I just preaching to me today? Because I know I needed to be reminded of this. Now, these next four words in verse 34 are so crucial for today's message, and I'm going to have you repeat some of these with me. Verse 34. He went to him. He went to him. Everyone repeat that with me. He went to him. He didn't wait for him to come to church with his mess. Obviously, he was on the road dying. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil. We know that cost a lot of money back then, and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, 
And what? You say it. You say it. What did he do? There's your marching orders. And for those of you, as we go into the rest of this text, are going to go, well, the innkeeper took care of him longer or or more. I'm pretty sure Jesus would pause and have another story for you. And you wouldn't like it. He went to him and he took care of him. Even though he was busy and on his way somewhere. I'm trying to preach to me because I need to remind myself when I see someone broken down beside the road, even though I'm not a mechanic, because that's the excuse I use. I'm not a mechanic. I can't help them. He said, when I come back, oh, oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. I'm getting ahead of myself. Taking care of someone takes time. It takes energy. It takes compassion, something that Christians are losing today. And sometimes it takes your own personal finances and possessions and resources. It would be great if the story ended there, but Jesus raised the bar and explains what caring actually means. Look at the first three words of verse 35. You say it. Well, I got him to the end. I mean, what more do I have to do? I did my part. Well, not if you climb in the hole with them. You didn't. That's like going by their hole and saying, I'm going to pray for you. Can I pray for you while you're down there? Jesus, please help them get out of their hole. There, how do you feel? I feel better. Okay, good. Then you're somebody else's project and leave. The next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper and asked him to look after him. Now watch these next four words. He said, because you could say, well, yeah, he pawned them off on the innkeeper. What's the next four words? Are you getting this? You go on journey with messy people. You don't just walk by their hole and pray for them and leave because you're busy. And when I return, I will reimburse you for any cost that you may have. He said, when I come back, I will check on this stranger, this man I don't know, who is a mess but needs someone. I'm willing to step into his mess instead of just passing by because it seems too messy for me. Then Jesus turns to the lawyer, turns to the audience. He turns and looks at you and me, and he asks this question in verse 36. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? And everyone knows the answer. Verse 37, the expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Then in verse 38, Jesus commands the lawyer and everyone listening that day and us in 2022, go and do the same if you want to live eternally. Now, let's just be real. That's easier said than done, right? We all know this parable and command from Jesus that when we see someone who has made a mess of their lives, that we should go and do likewise. But that is hard. It's hard when you have children. It's hard when you're working. It's hard when you have things to do. It's hard to figure out who. It's hard to figure out when. It's hard to figure out the time, to find the time for it. And it's hard to have the resources sometimes. And we end up asking ourselves, do I really want to get involved? Can you be honest with me this morning? Don't show hands. Maybe you can just say amen or say yes. Isn't it true that more than, more than often we talk ourselves out of helping people. 
We come up with all kinds of excuses. I'm pregnant. And not just pregnant, I have some physical issues going on with my pregnancy. I don't have the money. I don't have the time. I don't know who. Who do you want me to minister to? Why don't you assign me to someone, Pastor? Oh, man, don't ask me that question. I want to help all of us today by pulling some information from a book that I think every Christian should read. I know I say that a lot, but this, this book basically spurred this series on uh, years ago. And I would love for every one of you at Light and Life to read this at some point, and the picture is going to be up on the screen. It's called Move Toward the Mess by John Hambrick. But what I love about this is the subtitle, and it's the title for today's message, The Ultimate Fix for a Boring Christian Life. <laughs> That's what we're going to talk about today. If you're bored with your Christian life, it's because you're not getting involved in messy people. Think about how radical that is. Everything Jesus taught was radical. This is the premise of the book. Move toward the mess, the ultimate fix for a boring Christian life. The reason that I want you to read this book is because this is what I believe that we are becoming known for in our community. And if not, if we're not doing it well, I believe it's what God has called light and life to. And it's this phrase that Dr. Hambrick states most often about uh, his church. And this is what I want our church, church's marching orders to be. It's this phrase that he uses in the book. We are a church that walks toward the mess. We are a church that will walk towards the messes instead of away from, right? right. Dr. Hambrick caught this passion for all God's children to learn how to walk toward, not away from. It's when we have the moment when we see the need on the side of the road, someone in your family, someone you work with, and yet you hesitate to stop and you hesitate to, to walk toward the need. And most of the time, for one reason or another, for one excuse or another, we just walk by. So I want to discuss uh, this question uh, from the book. What makes us hesitate, in your notes, what makes us hesitate walking toward other people's messes? And I want to give you three things. There's lots more. These are just three things from the book. Dr. Hambrick give us, gives us three things that causes this hesitation. Number one, you're not going to like these, by the way convenience. Because we are the busiest culture in the history of the planet, moving toward the mess is not very convenient. Can I just tell you something? Christianity is not about any of these three things. <laughs> Christianity is very inconvenient if we're called to love people who are in a mess. In your notes, it's not a problem being busy. It's a problem when we are too busy. And I love this next word. And we don't have room. You could put underneath there, make room. We don't have room. We don't make room for messy people in our lives. In fact, isn't it true that when a messy person shows up in our life, we kind of get irritated? We think, how dare you mess up my perfectly organized life with your messiness? I don't have time for you. I have more spiritual things to do than to get involved with you right now. I'm thinking that the priest and the Levite in the parable were busy people and were probably on their way to do something good, like a church meeting. But they didn't have time. 
They didn't leave room for the capacity for a person in need. And that is a problem for a believer. Obviously, you have to add the fact that they didn't, they didn't, they had an idea that they couldn't touch anything unclean. So there's a spiritual thing that was a religious spirit. Some of you shouldn't go into bars to try to save people, but some of you have the strength to go in. You're just too scared. This is a problem for believers if they don't have the capacity for people in need. The point is we cannot get too busy to follow Jesus. And Dr. Hambrick gives us a statement to see where we are in this. And this is a painful statement in your notes, but it's just a kind of like a look in the mirror. You'll know when you are too busy when messy people are inconveniences rather than opportunities. Rather than opportunities to love people. And all God's people said, ouch and amen. We need to add that, ouch and amen. You'll know you're too busy when messy people are inconveniences rather than opportunities to love somebody. The second thing in your notes that makes us hesitate in walking toward other people's messes, and we've talked about this a lot here, comfort. Comfort, our culture loves comfort. We actually work for it. It's many of our goals in life. We love our comfort zones. Listen in your notes, there's nothing wrong with comfort zones. There's nothing wrong with comfort zones, but they're not a great place to live because not much happens there. And if you spend too much time there, it starts to get boring. Nothing wrong with them, but if you're spending too much time and you're not interacting with people, if you're isolating in your comfort zone, shutting the door of your house and not wanting people to stop by, You're not fulfilling the scripture we just read. Dr. Hambrick makes this amazing statement in the book. I'm going to put two of them, and I'm going to read the middle one uh, on the screen. The first, he starts out by saying, we will never meet the best version of ourselves inside our comfort zones. We will never meet the best version of ourselves inside our comfort zones. He goes on, we will meet the best version of ourselves when we exit our comfort zones and move toward the mess where God is using that chaos and uncomfortable circumstances to mold and shape us. That is where we're really going to grow is what we've been saying, right? He goes on. If we insist on comfortable, boredom is inevitable. I want to tell you why so many Christians are bored with their Christian life. Because they just come in here week after week. They sit in a chair. They listen to the pastor give a great message. And then they go home and they don't interact with anybody else in the church. They're literally pew warmers. They're overstuffed Christians. They just keep hearing a word after word. They're eating God's word every Sunday, and they don't do anything with it. And they're bored. And can I tell you, the people that are not engaged into the life of the church, they're the ones that are quitting right now, complaining and quitting, and blaming me. You can blame me. I can handle it. I have broad shoulders but I'm going to let it go in one ear and out the other because it's not my fault with everything. Did you see all the stuff that's going on here that we have available? You should never feel like you're not connected. If you don't feel connected, that's not on us. That's on you. We don't make connections for you. 
and I'll prove it to you. I can't make your relationship with Jesus deeper and stronger. I can preach to you about it, but you actually have to do it. It's the same with the people in this room. If you don't feel like you belong or if you don't feel like you're connected, that's not on me. I'm not going to, I'm telling you right now, I'm not going to take that on. That's too much weight for me to carry. I am not here to make you friends. I can't say, Susan, you have to be Marty's friend. I don't care if you don't like him. He needs a friend and it's my job to assign him a friend. Can you imagine how messy that would get? Susan would kill him or she would kill her. I don't know. Because that would get out of control, and then I would be starting to tell people who they should marry. It's chaos. It's on you, okay? I'm not going to own it. Sorry if that hurt, but... If we insist on comfortable, boredom is inevitable. Think about this. Maybe this is why so many people are leaving churches so quickly. They leave because of boredom. Why are they bored? Maybe because they're not involved in the mess all around them in the church that they're already in. Do you realize that instead of complaining about the church, maybe you were actually there to help fix it? Let that sink in for a minute. And I could play a video right now from you, from Dr. Jordan Peterson, but you would be mad because he is livid about, he does, I don't even think he attends church, but he is so sick of hearing about all the complaints of church and why people aren't going. He said, if, you, if, you, if, you're, if it's broken, fix it. You can't fix it by running from it. Well, church shouldn't be messy. <laughs> well, well, <laughs> if people are messy and people are the church, well, then, honey, you're wrong. Okay? Are we striving to clean up our messes? Yes. We are trying to get the bride ready for the ceremony. But until we reach whatever it is that you think is perfect and neat and not messy, I just want you to know if you're looking for comfort, you will be church hopping. If you're looking for perfect, you will be church hopping. If you're looking for neat and clean, you will be church hopping. In your notes. (laughs) Following Jesus never has and never will be boring. And that's why church isn't boring because of all of us. Right, Cody? You have to put up with me. I have to put up. Uh, there's, you're easy to put up with, but you poor guy. Hey, be careful. You don't want to see what your wife just did. <laughs> Following Jesus never has and never will be boring. That's why marriage isn't boring. That's why church membership isn't boring. That's why the body of Christ isn't boring. That's why your workplace isn't boring. You may think it is, but it could be because you're just not engaged in it. You're not involved in people there. It gets boring when we stop following him. And we stop following when we stay in our comfort zone. The third thing that makes us hesitate, the last thing, is number three. Yeah, I know. Here he goes again. This is my issue. Control. I'm not, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying some of you, some of, I could hear some of you thinking that. Some of, have, some of us have learned this, but when we are moving towards someone else's mess, we are not in control of it. And we love control. Some of us actually thrive on it. 
and we get involved in the mess just so we can try to control it. It's almost like we're looking for drama. Some of us like to fix problems and solve issues and take charge, but what you will find when you walk towards the mess is that you cannot control their anger. You cannot control their drug abuse. You cannot control their insecurity. You definitely can't control their rejection issues. And trying to control something only they can change will just cause you to be frustrated. And it will make you want to quit on them way too quickly. So my point is, maybe it's not them why you gave up on them. Maybe it's because you just gave up too quickly because you were just trying to control them. They weren't responding quick enough to your demands. But Pastor Mark, I laid out a plan for them and they agreed to it. They signed it. So they didn't follow it. Do you follow this perfectly? And all the plans laid out for you? So why'd you quit? I'm not talking about the people that God tells you to shake the dust off of your feet and walk away from. I'm talking about the people that God called you into their mess and you quit too early. Listen closely to this. This is so powerful in your notes. God doesn't want you to try to control or fix people. He just wants you to be with them. He doesn't want you to try to fix them. He just wants you to be with them. Everybody say that. Be with them. To love them and walk beside them. Think about it. It's, it. Isn't that the kind of relationship that God wants with us? He gives us the freedom of choice, free will. All he asks is to be with us in every decision, every choice, every word, every thought. Right? In your notes. I'm hoping to kind of relieve you now from all the hard things I've said. When you realize this, that you don't have to fix anybody, just be with them, then the pressure of fixing them goes away and you can just focus on loving them. Everybody take a deep breath. When you do that, let that person go. Let it go. Give them to Jesus. I don't have to fix my daughter and my son. I don't have to fix my mom and dad. I don't have to fix my coworker. I don't even have to fix my pastor. I just have to love him. Pray for him. Do all the spiritual things you know you're supposed to do. But my job is just to love them into the kingdom. Not nag them. Dr. Hambrick reminds us in the book that people are not projects. And if you're anything like me, this can be frustrating. You know, when you give people good advice and it seems like they just ignore you. you you've given them the solution to their mess and they just don't listen. So what happens? If we look at the mess and we think that there's no fix, no resolution, no end, then we have the tendency to just shut down on them. And one of the most powerful presentations of this book is the idea that the goal isn't to address their mess their messes in the way that we want to address them, but to just simply be with them and love them in the middle of their mess. And then the pressure is off of us. Did you hear that? Just bring Jesus. You don't have to have all the answers. You can't make them quit that addiction. I've always said, the church has shifted from scaring the hell out of people to loving the hell out of them. 
And if you're wired to want to fix everything about them, you need to remember one of Bobby Eberly's phrases that she says every time that uh, she has a problem or I have a problem. God's got this. God's got this. Right, Bobby? God's got this. You've heard me mention the Who's Your Becky theme in our church. Well, I lost almost all contact with my Becky that started out the amazing movement in our church. She moved away, and I don't even know if she's going to church. I don't know if she has a relationship with God anymore, but I've relented all control to her to God, and I pray for her, and I love her when she contacts me. We, we wish each other happy birthday on Facebook, and every once in a while, she'll reach out to me for something. Um, if she wants, we as a church, because I won't do it alone because she's a woman, we as a church will walk with her again. Because sometimes it takes several believers to come into their lives to see results. In other words, it's not just about you having the perfect solution or the perfect words or perfect control of them. But, and it's a big but, we don't use that as an excuse not to make ourselves available to them. Well, God will just send someone else into their mess. Well, I'll just bring them to my pastors and they'll fix them. There's a saying that goes like this. I think Angel just uh, repeated this in her series in your notes. People won't care about how much you know unless they know how much you care. They could care less how many scriptures you can quote if they don't know you actually care for them. If we are willing to care enough to walk towards people's messes, they will be helped, they will be healed, and they'll be encouraged, and they won't be so lonely anymore if they know that someone cares enough about them to want to be with them. Also, if we can actually live this out, we can change the negative view that a lot of uh, Christians, uh, uh, we can change the negative view that a lot of people have of Christians and the church. This view that religious people walk by suffering people because they don't have time or they're too unclean to be touched. And this one really hits home that the unclean, this is an attitude that Americans have, Christian Americans have, uh, Christians have today that the unclean actually deserve what they're getting. In your notes. Let's go back to the boredom thing. A lot of us think that the opposite of boredom is entertainment. This is the trap. A lot of us think the opposite of boredom is entertainment. Entertainment is fun, but it doesn't last very long. Think about it. We watch a movie or we play a video game together... And during the movie or game, it's exciting, it's sad, it's thrilling, it's entertaining. But as soon as it ends, we're like, now what? We're bored again. Let's start another movie. Let's start another game. Let's waste the whole day trying to entertain ourselves. In your notes. But the real solution to boredom is being engaged. The real solution to boredom is being engaged. Listen, the Christians that are the most excited, I thought about this. The Christians that are most ex, the most excited about their Christian faith are the ones who are engaged with the activities of God in planet Earth. They're engaged with people and messy people. They're the most exciting. Want to know why? Because every once in a while you get a win. Hopefully, more than often, you can say, Wow. What a difference in you. 
The essence of the Christian life is engagement with people. Let me repeat that. The essence of the Christian life is engagement with video games. Hallmark. Shopping. People. It's people. And here's the key. It will not only make a difference in their life when you engage in their mess. It's going to make a difference in your life. And it won't be boring and it'll last forever. So what now? What do we do with this message as we wrap this up? Because I know that most of you have thought about someone in your life that are a mess. And you've either been ignoring them or you recently pulled away from them or maybe you're still resisting them in your mind because you're frustrated or it has become uncomfortable. So I want to help you with what to do next. And this is going to be really good stuff. First of all, in your notes, we want to move toward a mess, not every mess. Move toward a mess, not every mess. For this to work effectively, it is an A, not every. Some of you don't even want an A. Some of you want every mess. It can't be every, but it has to at least be someone that you are discipling. Remember the Heine the mule story? If you try to please everyone, you'll lose your Heine. If you try to do too much, two things will happen. You will burn out and you will start to make a mess of your own life and your family's life if you try to do everything for everyone. So there's a, there's a thing, there's a statement that Andy Stanley makes. Do, want, do for one what you wish you could do for everyone. Do for one what you, could, what you wish you could do for everyone. Because when we, some of us, when we think about all the messes, we shut down and we don't do anything for anybody. Do for one what you wish you could do for everyone. And then when that, when that person is, can walk on their own, you move on to the next A. Okay? Engage in the messes that God tells you to. Engage in the messes that God tells you to. And don't feel guilty about the rest. Guilt is not a good reason to do anything. No one followed Jesus because they felt guilty. It's because they wanted to. Second of all, number one, Move toward a mess, not every mess. Number two, don't wait, go now. So if you get invited out for lunch today, you're somebody's mess. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) Or you're a mess that they're trying to help. (laughs) You can invite me out. I'll be your mess. I'm okay with that. I can admit it, I'm a mess. Did you just hear that, by the way? That was a God moment right there. The Holy Spirit just came over me like a flood admitting and knowing that I'm a mess and I need you. We, we need to admit that. Stop pretending and putting your Sunday face on. Think about the people that you come into contact with every day. Some of them are in deep trouble and they're in your life already. They're at work or at school or in your church. You're hanging out with them on Friday nights and here's what some of us are thinking. Well, I have to get my act together first, Pastor. You know what? You don't. You don't have to get your act together first in order to do this. Here's what's crazy about this. Ready? God uses messy people to love messy people. In your notes, the last thing I want you to fill in, it's a powerful statement. If God waited for perfect people to love messy people, no one would ever get loved. You get that? 
because we are all messy or we used to be. And I have news for you. This may be a little bit funny and maybe not so. We're all that God has to work with. We're the ones alive right now. You and me. Think about that, Bryant. You and me. That's it. That's what he has to work with. And guess what? That's enough. Want to know why? Because he's enough. We don't do it. We, we can't fit, help or anybody without the Holy Spirit. Amen? We're enough because he's enough. Say that with me. We're enough because he's enough. Listen, just as a warning, it's going to be inconvenient to get involved in somebody's mess. Go anyway. It's going to be uncomfortable. Go anyway. You're not going to be in control. That's okay. Somebody listening to this? Go anyway. Because God's going to be in control. It may cost you something. What would it look like if we all decided that we won't be those people who pass by suffering people on the side of the road? What, it, what, it, what would it look like if we all decided that I will make time for the messy people that God brings into my life? I got to tell you, I got to tell you, I don't care if we don't do anything else well here because we don't. There's a lot of people that would sling stones at us right now just this week. I don't care if we don't do anything else well if we do this well. Because it's not about growing a big church. It's about bringing people into the kingdom and saving Christians who have walked away and are in a mess right now and getting them back into their faith, building their faith up by encouraging them and being with them, not trying to fix them. What would it look like if we all decided that I will make time for the messy people that God brings into my life? What would that look like? It would be a game changer for thousands of people and also a game changer for you. Because this is what God's doing in the world. He's moving toward the mess and he wants to do that through us, through you. Let's stand. I'm gonna do something a little different today. I'm gonna actually read a prayer. I never do this, but... Uh, once in a while, God gives me a prayer in my office, and uh, I just felt like we need to go through this message point by point and just pause. So bow your heads, close your eyes. I mean, you, can, you don't have to bow your heads, but close your eyes. Um, if you want to place your hand on your heart, what you put your hand to, you pay attention to. I'm going to read this prayer to try to capture everything that we just talked about, and I just want you to pray with me in your heart. And I want you to think about these things that we're asking the Holy Spirit to help us with. When I say Father, we're also saying Jesus and we're saying Holy Spirit, right? I have both of my hands on my heart because I want a double portion of this. Father, we want to first thank you for sending someone into our mess. I just want you to think about that for a minute. You know, we're thanking him for Jesus, right? But I want you to, I want you to think of some humans right now. I was really blessed this morning to, to go to the mailbox. Um, it actually made me weep in my office. I got a card from Ariana this morning. She's in Texas at the missions camp, and it was the most amazing card with the most amazing message of her thanking me for helping her get to that camp. I want you to think of the people right now with your eyes closed. Don't look at me because I don't want you to think of me. It might be me, but I, that's not what I'm asking. I want you to think of the people in your path that helped you get out of your mess. 
and you're thanking Jesus for them right now, but I'm going to challenge you to actually send them a card, reach out to them through, your, through texting, uh, a letter, whatever you want to do, and I, I want you to reach out to them this week and thank them. Really thank them for helping you. Father, we want to first thank you for sending someone into our mess. Thank you, Jesus, for being willing to get into the middle of our mess and loving us. Father, we ask you to place one person on our mind right now that's in a mess. Not necessarily an easy one, but a difficult person. A difficult mess. One who has no hope, no faith. A person that is suffering physically, spiritually, emotionally, or mentally. And give us the courage this week to walk in their direction. Not so we can fix them or give them advice or to straighten them out, but to love them, care for them, and to walk with and be with them. I'm just going to give you a minute for God to point that person out. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. God just gave me my person. Thank you, Lord. Holy Spirit, help us to trust you that you will heal them and give them hope. I'm just going to be with them. Father, bless our efforts as we surrender our time and energy and treasure to change one person at a time. Thank you, Jesus, once again, for being willing to die for our mess so that, listen to this, we can die to ourselves, our time, our energy, whatever, our excuses, our blame, whatever it is, our shame, the fact that we're not perfect so we can't help anybody else. We die to that for the sake of someone else's mess. In the name of Jesus, if you want that, say amen. 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 Go and do likewise. God bless you. Thank you for listening to this message from Dubois Light and Life Church. We hope you're blessed by it. To hear more messages or get more information about Light and Life Church, please visit DuboisFMC.org or check us out on Facebook.